Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Anyway, time for Tell Me Why with Graham Finley. Uh, today's question is, uh, what exactly is a snowflake uh, and why are people called that? Good afternoon, Graham. Good afternoon. Uh, now, the we were just saying before we came in here, it's maybe on the way out is the term of abuse. Yeah, perhaps. I always try to check these things because I like to keep up with the zeitgeist. And yes. by, by the zeitgeist, I mean what has been said in the last 60 seconds. Yes, and, absolutely. Uh, and I think snowflake as a term of abuse is down, right? It's losing market share to woke and... I mean, Libtard has really stuck around like a, you know, somehow there's just no replacement for that. Right. Don't know why. Okay. But anyway, yeah. so Snowflake, you don't hear it as much as you do, but you do <laughs> well, get... Well, it's just Libtard is so offensive. Yeah. That's why it still has so a potency. offensive to us in the Libtard community, that's for uh, no, sure. No, but you know? also offensive to anybody who's... Uh, <laughs> yes, no, I mean, it's yeah, absolutely any disabled people, yeah. I, that, is in, that is in quotation marks, yeah. uh, no matter what. I, you know, I'm only referring to it, I yeah. should say. Um, in any case, no, that is a very good point. Um and the so snowflake isn't bandied about as much as it once was but i think the general accusation that mm, younger yes. people and you know are snowflakes which mean that they you know were originally celebrated and have been their whole lives as unique and uniquely valuable and beautiful and things like that has led to them having really fragile self-esteem, which can't survive in the face of any kind of criticism or setbacks or challenges. Uh, and so, like actual snowflakes, uh, yeah. they melt, you know, yeah. and, and, and they need to be kept in these safe spaces, which you hear a lot in this regard. And, you know, so so that's the accusation. Uh, not surprisingly, it comes from Fight Club by Chuck Palahniuk, <laughs> because that is the holy text of our culture among certain people, I guess, mm-hmm. at this point, uh, both the movie and the book, although they vary slightly, where he says, you're not some special snowflake. You're decaying organic matter just like the rest of us. Right. But, OK. But anyway, he's now come out and said not only is he owning the invention of it as, a, as an insult, but he also doesn't want it to be seen as this kind of macho insult uh, and the ideology which I think he's kind of terrified his book and film has 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 spawned of a sort of toxic masculinity and so he's more open to to worrying about people's self-esteem and mental health than many of the people who bandy this term around right but, okay. uh, one thing I was struck by is that there is an actual debate about about whether actual snowflakes like the ones which I was kind of hoping to see today are unique or not right uh, now we don't have the time and or the computers yet to study each and every snowflake to see if they are identical at any point, right? But we haven't found any. Um, and that's because there are um, so many different things which happen to a snowflake. Um, they form differently depending on the humidity up in the clouds and, and, and the temperature and so forth. And then as they fall down to Earth, the differential humidity can lead to very, very different formations, which is why even two snowflakes falling at the same time are, are just going to form very, very different patterns. And if you look at snowflakes under a microscope, they are incredibly beautiful and extremely varied. Yeah. So, however, something like 24 septillion, or so se- many septillion, that's seven zeros after the number. I, I probably got the 24 zeros and uh, some number of septillion uh, snowflakes fall to Earth um, every year. And so the laws of probability suggest that they might be identical, right? But we're not likely <laughs> to witness it, you know. Uh, well, so, we, I mean, we'd have to have measured every snowflake that ever fell or every snowflake that ever will fall. But if we so could find two which are identical, then, you know, 
we disprove that claim. Yes. Right? You know, we only need two. So if you want to send your identical snowflakes in, good luck uh, yes. <laughs> preserving them. But it's amazing that there's a debate about this. Uh, but in any case, um, while I think we all like to think of ourselves um, as 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 unique and 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 so forth, and we all of course are, um, I'm really struck by how this insult is so common from older generations to younger ones, right? Um, Even if, and yeah, th- th- because, and it's not my theory, it's a theory I've read many times, like the baby boomer generation uh, who who grew up in an atmosphere of, you know, a kick in the arse didn't do me any harm and got plenty of them, uh, but perhaps felt that that's... Um, Many of them, at least, felt they could have done better in life if they'd received a bit of encouragement. So when they, as parents always do, when they had kids, said, well, I'm not going to do what my parents did to me, saying, you know, you're never going to be a footballer, you're never going to yeah. do this, you know, go and get a job. And then. then they beat you. Yeah, right? and then they beat you. Yeah. They encouraged their children to, you know, uh, were, were, to dream that they could do whatever they wanted to, but perhaps overemphasized building up their self-esteem to such, self-esteem to such an extent that they kind of infantilize them slightly. Yeah, I mean, again, one of the, what we're talking about, at least initially, although you, it's applied to every succeeding generation, right, mm-hmm. are millennials, which are people who came of age around the millennium, uh, born between 1984 and the 1990s, um, and uh, who are the first generation to grow up basically with the Internet from the time they were barely conscious. Right? Yes, so, okay. Um, but of course, the, I didn't know there were so these codification of names for generations. So the baby boomers were raised by anyway, yeah. the greatest generation, uh, which is <laughs> which is no pressure there. Right? You know? well, no, well, there happened to be a war on at the time. That was so all. The baby boomers <laughs> arguably missed out on on their chance to fight in World War Two. Um, you know, as a, and they did get the chance to fight in Vietnam, but for some reason it didn't work out quite the same for them. If you're coming from the United States, and there's a very American centric quality to all this, of course. Yeah. But I mean, the baby boomers were described as these really narcissistic, you know, lifestyle obsessed, me, 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 the me generation, Mm. you know, before we started calling them the baby boomers, before they found someone else to call names, right? You know, so, (laughs) I mean, it it just, on it goes, like, I'm sure the greatest generation, when they weren't complimenting themselves on being the greatest generation, which they didn't call themselves at the time, but, you know, were slagging off their, their feckless baby boomer children, right? And again, if you look at a lot of places, not necessarily Ireland, right, but the United States, the baby boomers benefited from a massive economic boom, yeah, right, yeah, uh, and if, if they weren't black, right, and uh, you know, so again, a lot of people who are maybe looking at millennials in Ireland, you know, it, it is important to note that we had a massive boom for much of their their growing up. Now they're they're older now, the millennials, right? Mm. We've had a couple generations since then. Uh, now that boom, like the current boomish one, at least in the housing prices, obviously has its own problems and, and was not very well distributed. I think we, we can we can agree. So I don't want to suggest that that any generation had it so easy that that's why they're peculiarly fragile. Right. Yeah. Oh, no, because we got text today when we were talking about the mortgage thing that, you know, 16% interest rates back in the day. And so that was no walk in the park. No, you can calculate that, right? Like, I mean, I feel for any economist who pretends to to know stuff because it's always going to come back and bite them. (laughs) But you can actually do calculations to find out what the purchasing power of someone on the average industrial wage is, right? And what the interest rates are and so forth, right? Um, So uh, you can't do that with emotional fragility and mental health because Mm. I think the understandings of that are changing. And I think that's a really crucial factor, 
Um, so, I mean, this goes way back. Ecclesiastics, Clastes, the book of Ecclesiastics, is one of my favorite books in the Bible because it gave rise to uh, songs by the birds. Uh, but it's mostly like, I'm old, I'm going to die, but the young people today, I tell you, right? Or Aristotle <laughs> is like, young men and women, forget about it, right? Shouldn't do philosophy because they're too emotional and sort of, they're too prone to black and white thinking. All of the traits which people continue to ascribe to young people today. Most people, young people crave recognition, they're, they're, they they find you know work ambiguity hard to to process, and it make it makes them more anxious and stressed than than older people. They um they are potentially narcissistic. They're potentially neurotic. They are um again prone to black and white thinking. It's like there are good people and bad people, and this is right and this is wrong, and you don't get it, man. Right? Uh, and these are traits of young people right yeah, so, yeah, yeah. the reason they seem less resilient and they've done studies of this is because young people are less resilient as a group right uh, than older people this is just a fact right and so um you know they've had a really big trouble of trying to figure out whether young people now are particularly less resilient than young people were before uh but you know there's very weak correlations so the actual uh, identi- you know the actual facts aren't exactly concrete. And then they also discovered that, of course, there's a huge variation among people. Some of the most resilient people they studied were young people. Yeah, so, sure. So, yeah. And there are some of the least resilient were older people. But as you get older, you um, many people, not everybody by any means, you know, have more money, you've got more experience, you've got a, a higher level of recognition, right? Um, you get to impose your beliefs on society because the, the people you were fighting against have conveniently died, right? And any young person coming along and saying, you know, I don't think we should do things that way, or um, I don't know why you're telling me what to do, you know, is a threat to us. That's why I think that that people of my age should really be careful. And and I have to say, one thing I do this based on experience, I have taught thousands of young people. Not all my students are young, but many of them are. And I have taught literally thousands of students. And that's why I just assume everybody I meet is a student of mine until proven otherwise. But <laughs> And I am struck by their resilience. And again, especially over the last uh, 11 years, which has, or more, which has seen, you know, precarity, increasing precarity anyway, but also a, a really disruptive crash, uh, complicated by a pandemic. I mean, I, and I am amazed at the resilience of the young people I meet. And they're probably right, and I'm probably wrong. And I need to listen to them. I have to listen to what the flower people say. And Well, what's and, interesting about part, part of what you're saying is that older people have less need to be resilient, and so therefore they can imagine how titanic their own resilience is and was. Yeah, exactly. You project yourself back in the past. I've always been a middle-aged man with like a mortgage. <laughs> yes. and, right, you know, even though I was 30-something when I got my first mortgage, right? I was already old when I got my first mortgage, you know. And uh, yes, I mean, people do project themselves back in the past. They don't remember kind of what it's like, right? I also, however, I want to speak out in favor of the young people being different. Um, now, the pandemic is a really complicating factor. It Every survey they've done of, say, third-level students uh, has probably the majority of them experiencing serious mental health distress uh, as a result of the pandemic. Not all not all mm. young people, not not all people, right? But, but quite a significant percentage, and this seems to be culturally widespread. So it's true in China, it's true in, in Ireland, it's true in all the places I looked. Um, what I think is probably good 
uh, is that they're maybe more willing to talk about their mental health than maybe my generation is. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and I think that's good. It's not good that um, they're experiencing poor mental health. Um, and again, only about 16% of young people in the UK, and it's really hard to make cross-national comparisons here, um, experience a mental health disorder, right? Uh, uh, and but that doesn't include all the people who are experiencing poor mental health short of a disorder. But uh, and one point which was made is the reason young people seem like they're experiencing a mental health disorder or poor mental health is that's when it manifests as well. Right. Uh, and so I hope that a greater willingness to talk about mental health, a greater willingness to seek help. And I encourage everybody who's listening to me of whatever age to seek support. Uh, if you are experiencing poor mental health, uh, because I, I contrasted with how my generation, I would probably say I myself have coped with poor mental health in the past. And it probably wasn't the best way to go. Right. You know, if you um, I mean, if you <laughs> drinking keep, when I was sad didn't do me any harm. <laughs> exactly. Well, this is like this is what you're driven to. If you're from my generation, it's like, you know, drinking drugs were, were our solutions and it didn't do me any harm except for all the harm it did. Right. And um, and that's one thing about younger people today, which makes them different. They are drinking less. They're doing less drugs, right? If you think that sexual experience is something you should have later, uh, I mean, that's not always what young people think, uh, but, you know, uh, it's, it's later. Uh, uh, in, they do. In, in, I think they do have less sex. Or, or, they do. Yeah, they're having yeah. their first sexual experiences later. And, and people are saying, that's great. Except they found a new addiction to to accuse them of, which is screens, of course. And mm. these are not this. So the youngest people today are not just the people who grew up with the internet, but they grew up with the internet in your pocket. Yeah, you know, with, which is more powerful than the super supercomputers which landed things on the moon, right? So um, that's an interesting phenomenon. It's a colossal experiment, but by the standards of the mental health and the coping mechanisms of my generation, or at least you know, people I know, right? You know. They're not doing so badly, right? Mm. Uh, and again, better than my generation, they're prepared to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, somebody wants to know, ask your guest to explain glass housing. I don't know what that glass is. Glass housing. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. it's a great way to raise, you know, tomatoes like yeah, in the wintertime. I mean, it's the... the basis of the Dutch economy. No, seriously, I, I guess it's, it's the idea that people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. I know. Maybe right? they mean hot housing. Hot I, housing. I, I, hot housing possibly also good. What, yeah. So uh, hot what, housing what is... Hot housing is interesting because it's it's the deliberate cultivation of something through very very particular conditions. And so, if you think about hot housing someone, it's a, a particular form of maybe helicopter parenting, which is what is this snow, alleged outbreak of snowflakery mm. is is to blame for. It's 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 people like me raising our children such that nothing bad ever happens to them, right? Uh, and I'll take all the shots and I'll solve every problem and things like that. Uh, and um, hot housing would be that only you're also trying to make them into like a football star or, or a, a concert pianist or, or a concert pianist yeah. or, or an economist like where you like yeah you so, so you grow something in a sort of unnatural way i think is implied by by, by hot housing glass housing i think would be accusing people of uh, of um i don't know lobbing rocks from their glass house uh, but <laughs> Mairead says uh, using the term snowflake is just the classic case of uh, redirection or misdirection you're losing an argument so you make an assertion about your opponent that will lure them into a different argument people have been pulling that one since Socrates took on the sophists. That was some scrap, that was. Uh, it's so common as a phrase because people have serious trouble coming up with their own opinions. They hear some gobshite, they broadly agree with, use it, and then they just parrot that so they can sound smarter, informed, or interesting. Uh, concerned geriatric millennial, is that 
be a current? Can you be those? All those strings? Uh, are, the, are these uh, same things? Are these the tools to divide us and misdirect our anger? Uh, another text has said, Mike says, let's be real. Snowflake is a perfect insult for the modern fragile youth. It may have been poisoned by overuse, but I don't think you'll find a better term to encapsulate the problems with woke culture. Uh, uh, says Mike, uh, Kiris. Well, I think that's it's. There are two different things, though. Woke and and and, and snowflake. You could still be like screamingly right wing and be a, fl- a, a, a a snowflake. Well, I surely. think that's probably a striking moment, right? Where I, I think what people the accusation of a snowflake is that you're too fragile, you can't cope with criticism and so forth. And it's also a reaction to the kind of criticisms which are launched by alleged snowflakes of people like me, right? So, so these people are saying, oh, you're transphobic or you're you know, Islamophobic mm. or you're xenophobic or you're sexist or you're racist or whatever. I don't want to hear that, right? I'm an older person. I don't want to hear that. Um, and so I'm going to suggest that they're woke and their wokeness is a based on their inability to face reality or right. to... Um, sort of acknowledge that other people might have other views, right? So to protect themselves, they're trying to impose their views on everybody else so they're in a safe space where they won't be triggered. And all these terms are related to the notion of snowflakery, which is that this is how they build the sort of protections for themselves. I think there are interesting debates to be had, especially in academia, about how we navigate this when we have conversations in my giant class about... Mm all the matters of political theory. I think we can do it. I think we can do it in a respectful way. But uh, at the same time, we have to acknowledge that words do more than just communicate our ideas. Like, I would like some broccoli, uh, please, or I don't like broccoli, you know, and actually do have effects in the world. I think we can navigate this, but not by shouting woke or snowflake at people. Uh, Jill says, whenever, whatever term you use, snowflake or otherwise, young people are very expectant of what they should or shouldn't have and do without any issues. Otherwise, they get unduly upset and offended. Not real life, I'm afraid, says Jill which is yeah. like an example is, of what you were just saying. This is a debate about the younger uh, people as workers, especially about whether they're different in their relationship to the workplace. Uh, and again, we have to ask whether this is a way of dealing with the fact that they are going to have more jobs in their life than I'm ever going to have. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. and they, they have to live with an increasing precarity and mobility of capital, which is a broader international problem. Uh, and Bill in Dublin sent us in this quote, the world is passing through trouble times. The young people of today think of nothing but themselves. They have no reverence for parents or old age. They are impatient of all restraint. They talk as if they know everything and what passes for wisdom with us is foolishness with them. As for the girls, they are forward, immodest and unladylike in speech, behaviour and dress. And that's from a sermon preached by Peter the Hermit in AD 1274. Plus a change. Uh, Graham, thanks a million uh, for coming in to us. Graham Finley, there you are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again.